knowing what I know now, I know that the value is created when you improve the property and put some sweat equity in it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do now if I was buying single-family homes. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today to do follow along Friday like we usually do. Theo Hicks, how you doing? How's it going, Joe? It's going well. And we've got some exciting stuff happening. So we're recording it on Monday because we want to get the show edited and everything ready to go for the podcast listeners on Friday. So today is Monday when we're recording it and we're closing on a 314 unit property today. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as another deal we got going on and answer a couple questions that have been submitted by the Best Ever community, as well as an exciting announcement about a feature of the show that you're going to love. It's going to be really beneficial to you. So how do you want to kick things off? So last week we talked about your one deal, and I know this deal is actually across the street. We should yes. talk about how you went about finding that deal, about how to find deals in a hot market and how you essentially reached out to the broker who knew the person that owned the property across the street and was able to work a, a deal out that not only were you able to purchase the off-market property, but it also allowed you to purchase the on-market deal at a little bit of a higher price. It still made sense, though, financially, but due to kind of the scale and all the other things we talked about last week, you are able to do that. So obviously you're closing on that one today, so do you want to just maybe talk about the maybe the numbers or, or the plan for that deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you summarized it perfectly, so I won't go into the backstory. If you're curious about the backstory about how we found this property and matched it up with the property across the street to close 
on an off-market deal, which is below market price, with an on-market deal, which is right at the market rate. But because we're combining the two, it's a below market overall purchase acquisition price. Then watch the video, how to get a deal in a hot market. Yeah, how to find deals in a hot market. How to find deals in a hot market. You can also go to multifamilysyndication.com. That's multifamilysyndication.com. And the video will be there. And I'm sure that was a podcast episode of last Friday. Yep, last fall on Friday. Yeah, last fall. So a week ago from whenever this episode releases. This property, 314 units, and it's 90% one bedrooms. Wow. But across the street, it's primarily two and three bedrooms. This 314 unit is like a concrete jungle. There's pavement. And there are buildings, and that's basically it. I mean, it's, it's a really tight quarters. There's some green space, but as big as New York City one-bedroom apartment green space. I mean, there's not a lot of green space. But across the street is the exact opposite, which we closed on a week and a half ago. So this property, the business plan is to continue to do the renovations on the one-bedroom's well, on all the units have yet to be renovated, which are primarily one bedrooms, and increase rents through the renovations. The company, the owner, has already done that on a percentage of them, and we're going to simply carry it out to the rest. And we've got a management company that has been working with us on our other deals in Dallas-Fort Worth, and they're going to be taking over today once we close. And this is actually going to be the third property that we have in Richardson, Texas, mm-hmm. which is a submarket of Dallas. And we are closing in on almost a thousand units in the submarket, which allows us to certainly have economies of scale with the operations, but then also as we're improving the properties, we're starting to be able to dictate what the rents can be mm. in the submarket because we're starting to own more and more in the submarket. And that's something Chad Carson, I interviewed him a while ago. You can search his name and my name, Chad Carson. The title of the episode is Stay Local and Dominate. And while I'm not local because I live in a different state from Richardson, Texas, I am seeing how that strategy is playing out by investing in an area. So it perhaps uh, instead of stay local and dominate, if you're not investing locally, then perhaps it is stay focused and dominate. And that can be applied in many ways. But in this scenario, stay focused on a particular submarket and dominate that submarket because I'm seeing that we're able to get a lot more traction as a result of getting more and more properties in this smaller area. So I know, and I'm, I'm you know, because obviously I'm, I'm working with your partner and, and you and learning a lot more about multifamily. And something I learned is that when you're underwriting a deal and it's either already going through the renovation process or you plan on doing you know, additional rehabs, you look at what the previous owner has done renovation-wise and see if they've proven the rent increases based off of that. I guess a question kind of going off what you're talking about, about how you're focusing on that one submarket that over a thousand units is there. Is, are you able to use your own properties as comps now? Yes. Like your, own, your own properties. And, and if you happen to buy a property that you have not renovated yet, you don't necessarily know what rents are going to demand. You know, you've got a property on the road that you did these upgrades to mm-hmm. and you got a hundred dollar rent premium. Therefore, you know that maybe you, you could buy properties that other people maybe couldn't buy because they wouldn't necessarily know mm-hmm. what the rent premiums would be. 
based off of mm-hmm. previous projects or I just, I just think of more of benefits of, of mm-hmm. that strategy we were just discussing. That's a good thought process. Yes, we can and we haven't yet used our properties as rent comps for the acquisitions. It's certainly something to keep in mind because we know what we're doing down the road with our property. And I, I would say you mentioned an interesting thing where having a seller who has already proven the business mm-hmm. plan of renovations and rent premiums. Well, I know we have apartment owners who are listening. If you are thinking of selling, then think about renovating a small percentage, say 10% of your units, renovate them, get that rent premium. That way you prove the business plan of being able to command those rent premiums. And that will allow you to sell to someone like me who wants that plan proven because it mitigates the risk for whenever I go in and I buy the property. And that Mm -hmm. will allow owners to get a premium for their property too, and rightfully so, because it shows the business plan has been tested. Maybe not proven if it's only 10%, but at least been tested and you've received it. So there's the flip side to that that I I wanted to mention as well. That's a good point, and that'll definitely make the deal a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. Something else you mentioned, too, when you were talking about kind of the differences between the two deals, because, again, as we talked about in the last best podcast, I mean, they complement each other perfectly. The bedroom sizes, the amenities, and one of the amenities you were talking about was green space. And I was kind of just thinking, how important is that when you're looking at a deal? That's very, very important, like, you know, people want green space, or does it kind of depend on the area or the, or the tenant? It depends on everything you just said. I mean, I lived in New York City for 10 years, so I'm picturing the building I lived in on 9th Street and 1st Avenue Mm -hmm. for 9 of those 10 years. There was no green space at all. It was a walk-up, five-floor building, and I was on the fourth floor, (laughs) and my apartment was the size of a shoebox. And I was paying two and a half times more than what my residents pay in (laughs) Dallas at a much nicer place. Yeah. So it depends on your market, certainly, but also it depends on the type of resident profile that you have. If you have a lot of, say, students and you're doing student housing, then that's a completely different amenity set than you would want compared to a property that is more family-focused. And again, you'll rent to everyone, right? But if you have a primary target audience, then you need to cater to that audience. So really, it depends on who's your audience. All roads lead back to the customer first. So thinking about the customer first and then making sure that your customer is fine with what you have there. And if not, what can you incorporate to make it a little bit better? And in our property... We have a lot of students because it's close to a local college. Mm -hmm. Then also we have a lot of day laborers and people who are in construction and people who recently got divorced and are moving in because this is primarily one-bedroom apartment Mm -hmm. community. So really it's more of a transitional place Mm -hmm. where they're likely not going to be staying for 10 years, probably more at most four, five, six years. At most, best case scenario. So we want to make sure that the interiors are really top-notch. That's why we're doing the renovations. There is a pool on site, so there is something, and there's a tiny little area 
for kids to play, which when I was there, they were in this very tiny area. There's not a whole lot we can do with it on the outside other than maybe help with some landscaping, which we'll, we'll plan on doing. But really, it's on the interior. That's where we're going to focus our budget for the capital improvement dollars. Okay. I'm really curious to see how, the, how this plays out because you've got you know, the one bedrooms and then you said just, if people don't plan on staying there or you don't expect people to stay there for 10 years. Maybe it'll be a deal where they move into the one bedroom and then, I guess I'm saying, I wonder what percentage of people end up moving into the one bedrooms and then end up moving across the street across the street, three yeah. bedrooms for like, like maybe they find a family or, or, yeah. or whatever. They're upgrading to a, a multi-unit. I wonder how many people will, yeah. will transition over there. And, and then as they continue to progress, maybe we'll change the apartments in the condos and we'll have them exactly. buy, yeah, buy their own condo. Buy <laughs> have their, buy their own condo, exactly. And the two to three bedrooms across the street that we closed on a week and a half ago, that is tons of landscaping, tons of area to roam. It's on 14 acres. I forget the acreage, but it's expansive, completely different from across the street. So cool. That's the deal we're closed on today. And I'm excited about that one. That's for sure. Anything else about the deals new or do you want to dive into the questions? One other thing for investors who are also putting multifamily syndication deals together, or, or really any type of syndication together, we have been awarded one deal. And I want to talk to you about the process that I go through real quick for working with my investors and how I approach it, because it will be beneficial for you to learn from my process and either replicate it or enhance it, do it better than I'm doing, or take aspects of it. So we have a new deal we got awarded. This is in Fort Worth, Texas, very, very nice area of Fort Worth, Texas. And that's my hometown. I mean, I was raised in Fort Worth, Texas, in Alito, West Fort Worth. The property's not in Alito, but it's in a very nice area. And how I approach it is I send out an email to my investor list mm-hmm. who I have pre-existing relationship with. I've talked to them. I've corresponded with them. I send out the email and it's an email with about four pictures of the property and like two bullet points of why I like it mm-hmm. along with like two or three sentence paragraph of just introducing them to the property. And then I mention the minimum investment, the maximum investment. And by the way, the reason why there's a maximum investment is if they have more than 20% ownership of the limited partnership, then it triggers a know your borrower clause by the lender. Hmm. And they'd be exposed to a pretty exhaustive and detailed financial audit by the lender. Okay. And 99.9% of limited partners Passive investors don't want to go through that. Therefore, there's a cap on okay. how much they can invest. So, fifty thousand minimum. I think one point one maximum for individual investors. And so, I send that out mm-hmm. in addition to the close date and the funding deadline. I send that out, and in the email, I also mention there's a conference call, and I give the call in details. And if you'd like more information on it, then reply back via email and I'll send you the investor package. Okay. That's my initial email to my investors. So people who are syndicating deals, that's my initial email to investors. And then they reply back those who are interested. Therefore, I know who is interested. 
I write them down in my spreadsheet, yep. so I'm tracking that, and I send them the package. And then we'll have a call in about a week and a half. Some people have already committed tentatively, mm-hmm. pending review of the information, just because they've been investing with me for a while now. And after we do the call, then we'll send out the PPM. We're working on the PPM right now. We'll send out the PPM. And once that gets sent out, then I have in my tracker, which, by the way, if you haven't got the tracker yet, the investor tracker, email info at joefairless.com, info at joefairless.com, and, and Samantha will send you the <clears throat> tracker that I use for my investor database doesn't have my investors' names in it, obviously, but it's the template that you can use for your own people. After the PPM gets sent out, during that time, we're also going to have a video. We've got a videographer with a drone going on site, and he'll be there this week. And so the video will probably be done in about 7 to 10 days from now. So I send that out just to get them a better idea of the property And then I'll start getting the PPMs back, getting the commitments back, and then funding is shortly thereafter. So that's the process for how I approach it. And that will be helpful for anyone who's also going to raise money or currently raising money. Awesome. Cool. Questions. We got a couple questions that we want to address from the best ever listeners. So what are they? I'm going to test my vision to see if I can get it from Marley over here. The first question is from Neil Patel. Okay. Uh, He says... yeah, Neil. All right. Uh, Neil. Neil. I think you didn't hear that last name. So he says, thank you for creating such a great real estate community. I listen to your podcast while commuting an hour every day. I'm a newbie to the real estate business, and I'm thinking about buying a quadplex in my area. I was wondering if I need to have a real estate license. No. You don't need a real estate license to buy an investment property. And then he finishes out the question by saying... It would be nice if you do a podcast about how you calculate numbers for property you're thinking about buying, like a 1% rule or something of the sorts. Yeah, real simple. We're talking one to four unit properties, really simple. This is how I did it whenever I was buying properties. First off, there's a document that I've mentioned on my story part one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this document. I'd be happy to give to everyone... Just email info at joefairless.com, and it's how I ran the numbers on my single-family purchases when I purchased them, characteristics that ruled out certain properties. So email info at joefairless.com, and you'll get that document. But from a high level, now I just do the 1% rule and see where it falls on the 1%. So what that is is you take the monthly rent divided by the all-in price, so the purchase price plus any rehab that needs okay. to be done. And is that 1%? Is that 1.5%? Is that less than 1%? If it's at 1%, then I consider that the bare minimum. Everyone's got their own opinion on it. It depends on the area. It depends on what your business plan is. It depends on your goals. But I personally consider 1% the bare minimum. All of my homes, when I bought them, it was between 1.4% and 1.6%. And I just looked on Zillow the other day, and they've at least doubled in value. But wow. I don't care because I am not selling them. The only reason I would care is if I was doing cash-out refinances, which I'm not going to do right now. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But that's the general rule. There's a document I'm referring to 
lists out the three things I look for at the time for single-family homes, and that is, is it move-in ready, or does it cost at least $1,000 or less to be move-in ready? Two is, do I have at least $10,000 in equity based on the valuation of sales comps at closing? So at closing, I want at least $10,000 worth of equity in it. And then three, does it make me at least $100 a month in rent? And that's based on the calculator that I use, which again, there's a link to it in that PDF document. Now, knowing what I know now, after interviewing a thousand people and evolving my business and being in the business longer, I would have purchased deals with more equity in them because I was basically buying turnkey properties. But I was just starting out and I'm glad that I did buy more turnkey properties Knowing what I know now, I know that the value is created when you improve the property and put some sweat equity in it. Mm -hmm. That's what I would do now if I was buying single-family homes, but I'm not. So if you want to know what I was doing before, then there you go, Neil. I'm not sure the answer to this is, but the 1% rule, how high up in unit size would that apply to before it's no longer works? Is it all unit sizes or just for single-family? I I would just do it for... One to four units, because after that, you're dealing with technically commercial properties, or at least commercial loans, different structure, and there's different considerations for that. Okay. It is interesting, because I've done this before on my apartment deals, it is interesting to do that on, say, a 200-unit apartment community. Okay, I'm buying it at $70,000 a unit. What's the average rent? But... There's too many variables in play for a large apartment community to use that as a rule of thumb. So one to four units. Yep. All right, Neil, we we got you, and thanks for being a low bus ever listener. So our next questions, a couple of questions wrapped into one, is from Al. So he said, if you don't mind me asking, we don't mind, how were you intending to finance your initial attempt at purchasing a multifamily unit in Tulsa? This is based off of him listening to your part one, two, three series. And how you mentioned how you were first actually looking in Tulsa for your properties. He's asking, how did you plan on financing that deal? Let me read a little bit further. I believe you already had already left your W-2 job by then, so it wouldn't have been easy to secure a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so did you already have... Oh, you're, you, I thought you were going to pause. Yeah, I'm going to pause. <laughs> <Keep> going. <laughs> All right. The first question is... How did I plan on financing my first property, my multifamily property in Tulsa? And I had left my Mm -hmm. job, and I was planning on financing it by partnering with a high net worth individual. And they would get approved for the mortgage, and I would also be on it, but they were going to be the balance sheet and the borrower primarily. Did one person do it? Yeah, and again, this is when I first got going. (laughs) I was wet behind the ears, Mm -hmm. but yes, I was going to, and we ended up looking for properties around the 30-unit range, but did not find anything and then moved on. But are there other questions on that first deal that he was curious about? So he said, did you already have reliable funding from... Potential partners. I was, and the financing was going to come from a community bank. I was working with a community mm-hmm. bank okay. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. A different question, still about your initial search for deals. What was the price range, or let's say unit range as well, of the properties you were looking at? A million dollars, around 30 units. 
Is there a reason why you selected that number? Just kind of because I thought that I could raise about two hundred to three hundred thousand okay. dollars. Turns out, it ended up raising over a million dollars. Yeah, and it was over one hundred and fifty units on my first multifamily deal. So I exceeded the level that I thought I could play at, but that's what I was originally going for. Which is awesome, just because I mean, some of the people I've read in the path or talk about you know, the 10x rule, the Grant Cardone 10x rule, like setting a goal 10x mm-hmm. higher than necessarily what you plan on hitting. But if you want to get 30 units and you say, I want to get 300 units, mm-hmm. but you kind of said you're going to get 30 units, but you, you know, completely surpassed it anyway. It's just interesting. Yep. Next question Do you approach multifamily units mainly as private equity syndication with or without bank loans? And are you the sole owner of some of them? They're all syndicated. We have bank loans on all of them, and I am a part owner in all of them, but not a sole owner in all of them because they are syndicated. Okay. And he asks, essentially, would your purchase criteria be different for, his question, duplexes and units up to four dwellings versus single-family homes? Mm, I would give more leeway to the area. Being a little worse on two to four units compared to single family home. Because I think with two to four units, if you were to sell, you're dealing with more of an investor type or a mm. single family home, you would likely be dealing with investors or people who want that as a primary residence. Therefore, the area will be a little bit more important. But two to four units, primarily investors, so it's not as much about the area as it is the cash flow of the property. Okay. Otherwise, I run the numbers the same way. And you, know, you already kind of, kind of talked about you know, the 1% rule to four units, so that's kind of similar there. Yep. So yeah, those were, cool. were else questions, so we got those out of the way. Awesome. And the, the last thing we want to talk about is the new feature. New feature? You love this. I do love this feature. You, you love this feature. <laughs> All right, best ever listeners, here you go. We have every episode from this point forward being transcribed so if you're wondering hey i heard so and so or someone mentions this particular thing on a podcast today or last week but i don't remember which podcast it was all you got to do is go to bestevershow.com and search for whatever you remember and it will come up before You'd have to have a good memory and take notes on every episode, which you still should do. But at least now we've got something to assist you in your searching. And this is only available at our website. So you have to go to the website and check it out and read the transcriptions because we didn't want to put it in the show notes on your mobile device. It would be an intense amount of text to go through. So it's only available on our website bestevershow.com you can go to and you can read the transcription it's beautifully formatted Mm -hmm. it's like joe fairless and then blah 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 what i say theo hicks blah 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 what he says nice and bold so if you want to simply read through the episode in addition to listening or if you just want to read through episodes from this point forward go to bestevershow.com and click on the actual episode and then below you'll see the transcription. Yes, I like that feature a lot. Because if you think about it, I mean, I know some people learn very well through reading and some people learn very well through listening. So we kind of get that dual approach. But for me personally, I like to do both. I like to read something and listen to it because it kind of, I don't know, I just absorb it 
so much more. So yeah, it's an amazing service, amazing idea. And again, it's, it's listed very, very beautifully down, list by list. All of it's in there. It's even nice for the lightning round too. At the end, you can kind of go quickly read through mm. the the best ever lightning round for the deals yeah. and their mistakes. Or you can go straight to the best ever advice instead of having to kind of scroll through the mm-hmm. podcast, that bar back and forth to kind of find exactly where it started. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful for a lot of reasons. Excellent. Well, best ever listeners, that's what we got today. Hope you have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at CIX.com. At CIX.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. Get funded and download your free funding kit at CIX.com.